Again, let's invoke auspiciousness. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya So the title is Nature, the Enjoyer, and Consciousness. Nature, we learned in chapter 7, there are two natures. Who can tell me the two natures? That yes. Ah, that's a good answer. I'll accept that. That's later. That's not nature. But that's good. But according to chapter 7, what are the two natures? There's your answer. But I like your answer because that would be true later on, in chapter 16 especially. But according to chapter 7, the two natures are material and spiritual. The enjoyer, there are two enjoyers. The real enjoyer and the imitating enjoyer. Who is the real enjoyer? Krishna or God. And who is the Imitator enjoyer. Yes, the conditioned soul is the imitating. And consciousness, we learned in chapter 2, is the symptom of the presence of the soul in the body. You can never, Prabhupada mentions, scientifically, you're never going to prove the existence of the soul. Never. You're never going to prove the existence of God or the soul by material means because that's not how it's done. The only way that you establish the existence of the soul in God is on the authority of the revealed scriptures. Other than that, you have to realize it by following a spiritual regimen. Because that is how God says he is to be revealed. Not in a laboratory, not on television, not on Dancing with the Fools, not with with American false idol. No. God is understood on his terms. And what does he say? First of all, surrender. Then serve and love then I'll reveal, not ahead of time, not any other way. So, we can surmise the presence of the soul by consciousness. Consciousness means no matter where I touch, I feel awareness, perception. I have my eyes, I see. I have my ears, I hear. I have my tongue, I taste. I have my nose, I smell. I have my sense of touch. These are my knowledge-acquiring senses, and then I have my mind. But who or what is experiencing that, that's my consciousness. So consciousness is the symptom of the presence in the soul, in the body, because after death, there's no more presence of consciousness. Then it becomes a lump of dead body, dead matter. And after a few 
minutes, maybe hours, it becomes so detestable. Anyone who has seen, I've seen several dead bodies in my lifetime. So, the difference between a dead body and a live body is the symptom, the presence of consciousness and the soul. So let's begin now. The first seven verses I have subtitled, The Field and Its Knower. So follow along, please. Arjuna said, O my dear Krishna, I wish to know about Prakriti, nature, Purusha, the enjoyer, the field and the knower of the field, and of knowledge and the object of knowledge. The Supreme Personality of Godhead said, This body, O son of Kunti, is called the field, and one who knows this body is called the knower of the field. So, this is picking up in the same place that Bhagavad Gita started in chapter 2. The very first thing Krishna instructs in chapter 2, the first lesson of transcendental knowledge is the difference between the body and the soul. Here, he's using a different, instead of soul, he's using the word knower. In other words, there's a difference between the body and one who is experiencing the body, just as a farmer is different from his field. The farmer sows his field and grows various fruits and vegetables. So his field, the farmer, is different from his field. And that's why Krishna is saying, the knower of the field. There's a difference between the farmer and the field. They're not the same. The farmer works the field and gets his crop. Similarly, the soul in the body is working this body, his field of activity, in order to enjoy this material world. Let us continue. O Sayan of Barta, you should understand that I am also the knower in all bodies. And to understand this body and its knower is called knowledge. That is my opinion. So, here is the difference between us and God. You don't know what's going inside this body, do you? No. But, and I don't know what's going on in your body. But you do, right? You know how you feel right now, whether you're comfortable or not comfortable, whether you have an itch somewhere. And I know what's going on in my body right now, my teeth. My implants, I can sense them very tightly in my mouth. And what's going on in... I don't know what's going on in your body. <coughs> so, the soul or the knower is limited to his body. But Krishna is saying, because Krishna is the speaker of this verse, I know everyone's body. That's why he's God. And that's why we're not. If I could say, in all honesty, I know what's going on in everybody's body, then that would make me God. But I don't. And that's why I'm not God. 
So here is one clear distinction between God and everybody else. And if anyone ever claims, I am God, then you ask them this question. Oh, you say you're God? Tell me what's going on in such and such body right now. And if probably he will bluff. Or tell me what's going, just, just tell me what's going inside my body right now. You say you're God? Tell me what's going inside my body right now. If he can't, he's not God. Because here's one test. God knows what's going on in everyone's body. The next part of this verse. To understand this body and its knower, that's knowledge. Not what you learn in Harvard, Princeton, UCLA, no, no. Here's Krishna's definition of knowledge. To understand the body and its knower. That's what's taught in this institution known as ISKCON, which is not taught in UCLA, USC, or anywhere else. That's what makes ISKCON a unique institution because this is the knowledge that is taught, the difference between the body and its knower. And Krishna says, that's my opinion. And anyone who understands who is Krishna will take his opinion very seriously. That's number four. Now, please hear my brief description of this field of activity and how it is constituted, what its changes are, whence it is produced, who that knower of the field of activities is, and what its influences are. So here we go. Krishna has set up now what he's going to describe. That knowledge of the field of activities and the knower of activities is described by various sages in various Vedic writings. It is especially presented in Vedanta Sutra with all reasoning as to cause and effect. couple of things here. Krishna is referring to the book Vedanta Sutra. Veda means knowledge. Anta means the end or conclusion. So the word Vedanta means where does knowledge end? And Sutra means code. This Vedanta Sutra is written in code. Just like somebody who writes computer code. If I look like my brother... He writes computer programs. If he's to show me one of his computer programs, to me it just likes, looks like a bu bunch of numbers and symbols. It means nothing to me. But to him, he knows exactly what each number and what each phrase means because he knows the code. So similarly, this Vedanta Sutra is written in code form. And to understand Vedanta Sutra, you have to be extremely Brahminical. You have to have studied the Upanishads. You have to be very, very elevated in spiritual consciousness. Not to worry. 
The author of Vedanta Sutra, namely Vyasadeva, has written his own manual to explain Vedanta Sutra. That is called Srimad Bhagavatam. How many people attend Bhagavatam class every day here? Good. Whatever you would get out of Vedanta Sutra, you'll get the same thing in a much more digestible form in Srimad Bhagavatam. So don't worry about Vedanta Sutra. Read Bhagavatam. You'll get everything that's in Vedanta Sutra. Let's go now. Verses 6 through 7. The five great elements. So what are they? Earth, water, fire, air, sky. Those are the five great elements. False ego. False ego is, I am man, I am woman, I'm American, I'm Indian, I'm Republican, I'm Democrat, I'm young. I'm, this is false ego. Therefore, what is ego? I'm the eternal servant of God. That's ego. I am a spirit soul. Anything other than I'm the eternal servant of God is false ego. Intelligence, the unmanifested, because we don't even see this whole material manifestation. There is so much which is not manifested to us. We're only seeing a very small portion. The ten senses. So the ten senses. I already explained the five knowledge acquiring. Ears, eyes, nose, uh, tongue, skin, right? And the mind. Oh, that's coming up next. And then the five executive or working senses. Hands, legs, genital, anus, and throat. So these are the ten senses. The mind. The five sense objects. Sight, sound, smell, taste, and touch. These are the five Sense objects. Desire, hatred, happiness, distress, the aggregate, life symptoms, and convictions. All these are considered in summary to be the field of activities and its interactions. So here you go. It. Krishna just summarized what everybody in the material world is dealing with. This is it. Nothing else going on. This is your field of activity. Now we go through verses 8 through 12. 8 through 12 is called the process of knowledge. Okay, are you ready? If you're ready, say Haribo. Very good. So here is what is the process of knowledge. Humility, that's the first one. They, and that is the most important item, humility. Which is why Lord Chaitanya says, that should be around your neck for constant remembrance. Humility, humility, humility. You cannot be too humble. Humility is the key that unlocks everything. Pridelessness, nonviolence, tolerance, simplicity, approaching a bona fide spiritual master, another big one. Cleanliness, steadiness, self-control, renunciation of the objects of sense gratification, 
absence of false ego, the perception of the evil of birth, death, old age, and disease, detachment, freedom from entanglement with children, wife, home, and the rest, even-mindedness amidst pleasant and unpleasant events, constant and unalloyed devotion to me. That's a big one. Constant and unalloyed devotion to Krishna. Aspiring to live in a solitary place. That's why those of you who live in the temple, that's exactly why you have joined the temple, because you want to live in a solitary place. Detachment from the general mass of people. Acceptance of the importance of self-realization. That's the opening statement of the Vedanta Sutra. There it is. The Vedanta Sutra begins, Atato Brahma Jigyasa. Therefore, in the human form of life, you should begin to inquire into the nature of the Absolute Truth. There it is. Accepting the importance of spiritual realization and philosophical search for the Absolute Truth. All these I declare to be knowledge. And besides this, whatever there may be is ignorance. I wonder if we went to Harvard right now and I was to give a lecture and tell them, here is knowledge, boys and girls, and everything else is ignorance. I wonder what they would do to me. Would they stand up and give me an applause? Or would they beat me with shoes? Doesn't matter. It's never going to happen, so don't worry about it. Text numbers 13 through 18. Understanding the super soul. Krishna continues, I shall now explain the knowable, knowing which you will taste the eternal. Brahman, the spirit, beginningless and subordinate to me lies beyond the cause and effect of this material world. Very significant, beginningless. In chapter 2, there was that famous verse, Never was there a time, Arjuna, when I did not exist, nor you, nor all these kings. Here he's saying the same thing. The soul is beginningless. You always existed. Isn't that interesting? You were not born. Your driver's license is a lie. Your driver's license has your birth date on it. But that's not you. You were never born. You are beginningless. When you fully comprehend that, that is a relief. Ah. Oh. I've always existed. And I will always continue to exist. That is far out. That is cool. Lies be... But, uh, uh, subordinate. Oh, subordinate? I don't want to be subordinate. All right, Krishna says, you don't want to be subordinate? Go to Los Angeles. Have your fun. 
But what does the material energy show you time and time again? Sucker, you're subordinate to me. And then she punishes. If we weren't subordinate, then we wouldn't have to go to school. We wouldn't have to work like an ass if we were not subordinates. But everything we are experiencing in the material world is reminding us that we actually are subordinate and there's nothing you can do about it. It is our condition. We're always going to be subordinate, either in the spiritual world or in the material world. Some people think that when I become liberated, when I go back to the kingdom of God, then I won't be subordinate. Uh-uh. You'll still be subordinate in the spiritual world. That's why the devil says, What? Serve God? No. I'd rather reign in hell. And God says to the devil, Go ahead. Reign in hell. See how you like it. We are subordinate. We might as well get used to it. You're either subordinate in the spiritual world or subordinate in the material world. Take your pick. Where do you want to be subordinate? I know where I want to be subordinate. I would rather be subordinate in the spiritual world. But those who don't want to be subordinate in the spiritual world, come back to Los Angeles. Have your fun. Let us continue. Text 14. Everywhere are his hands and legs, his eyes, heads, and faces, and he has ears everywhere. In this way, the super soul exists. Because how is it we read that Krishna knows everybody, right? Remember? Krishna said, I'm the knower in all bodies. Do you remember reading that? Yes or no? Okay. So how is it that Krishna knows everybody? It's because he's there. He's in your body, your body. He's in everybody. He's there. That's how he knows. So that's why he says everywhere are his hands. He has his form. In this way, the super soul exists pervading everything. <coughs> Even within the atom. The scientists say the atom, right? The smallest particle. So Krishna can be smaller than the smallest. He enters the atom. Text 15. The super soul is the original source of all senses. Yet, he is without senses. Now, this has to be qualified. When it says here the original source of all senses meaning the original source of our material senses. When it says he is without senses, it means he is without material senses. Please don't misunderstand. He has his senses, otherwise how can he know everything? Right? It just got finished saying his hands, legs, his eyes, heads, faces, and ears are everywhere. Obviously, he's got senses. Yes or no? Right? But not senses like me and you. So when it says, 
But he, ha- he is without senses, meaning not like our senses. Our senses are limited and defective. His senses are interchangeable, unlimited, and perfect. So the, the understanding here, he is without materially defective senses like me and you. He has his senses, but they're transcendental senses. He is unattached, although he is the maintainer of all living beings. He transcends the modes of nature, and at the same time, he is the master of all the modes of material nature. Krishna is here speaking about himself, because this super soul is nothing but Krishna's own expansion. So Krishna is speaking about himself in this feature as super soul. Text 16. The supreme truth exists outside and inside of all living beings, the moving and the non-moving. Because he is subtle, he is beyond the power of the material senses to see or to know. Although far, far away, he is also near to all. (coughs) Now, when it says... He is beyond the power of the material senses to see or to know. Somebody may say, well then, why bother? If God can't be known by my material senses, then why should I pursue God-realization? Ah. He is beyond the power of the material senses. But... If your material senses are purified, they become spiritual senses, and then God reveals, and then you can see and know. So that is a fundamental principle of what we call Krishna consciousness. Krishna consciousness is teaching that, yes, With your blunt material senses, you cannot figure out or see or know God. But if those same senses become purified, then God will agree to reveal. So the question then becomes, if you accept the premise, then the question becomes, what do I have to do to see God? How do I purify my senses? And the answer is, you begin what is called devotional service, which you're doing right now. You're hearing. So right now, your sense of hearing is being purified. And you chant. Actually, it begins with the tongue. You chant the holy name of God And you eat food offered to God. You just do that. Chant and eat the food offered to God. God will reveal himself. Simple, isn't it? Everybody like to eat? Anyone hate eating? So just eat Krishna Prasad. After all, that was the only reason why I joined this movement back in 1973. I'm being very honest, as you can see. 
I only joined this movement for the food. But then they told me, that's all right, Bhakti Nick, just eat prasad and chant Hare Krishna. I said, there's my religion. I'm ready. Sign me up. So we hear about God. We talk about God. We chant his name. We read his words. We eat the food offered to God. Little by little by little, God becomes revealed. Who likes that concept? You're in the right religion. You're in the right church. Let us continue. Although the super soul appears to be divided among all beings, he is never divided. He is situated as one. So, yes, we just got finished saying that God's in your heart, your heart, your... So someone would conclude, oh, he's divided himself. But here's how to understand. Now, who's ready for some meditation? Close your eyes. Close your eyes and I'm going to paint a picture. You're in a big grassy field. Picture a nice grassy field. And in that grassy field is a thousand little water pots. And the pots are filled with water. And it's high noon. There are no clouds in the sky. What will you see in each and every pot? A reflection of that noon sun. Yes or no? Yes? And how many suns will you see? Thousand. But there's still only one sun in the sky. Yes? So that's... Now you open your eyes. Meditation is over. So that's how you understand that there is one God seemingly divided. It's the same super soul in each and every... It's not that your super soul is different than my super soul. No, he's the same God. There's only one God, as there was only one sun in the sky, but was reflected in each of the pots. That one God is reflected in everybody's heart. That's how to understand. Although he is the maintainer of every living entity... It is to be understood that he devours and develops all. He is the source of light in all <coughs> luminous objects. He is beyond the darkness of matter and is unmanifested. Meaning, until you have that spiritual senses, you don't see. When you're still in material consciousness, you can't see. He is knowledge. He is the object of knowledge. <coughs> he is the goal of knowledge. He is situated in everyone's heart. When I was five years old, and I still remember this day, when I was five years old, don't ask me how, but when I was five years old, I had an understanding that God was in my heart. And I wasn't taught that. That was something, most likely, I carried from my previous birth. And when I came to Krishna consciousness and I started to read Bhagavad Gita, then it was confirmed. Yes, God is in my heart and he's in everyone's heart. Verses 19 through 24, understanding soul 
and super soul. Thus, the field of activities, the body, knowledge, and the knowable have been summarily described by me. Only my devotees can understand this thoroughly and thus attain to my nature. So if you want to know God, then you have to become his devotee. And what is God? He says here, attained my nature. What is God's nature? Eternally full of bliss and knowledge. That's God's nature. And we can also acquire that nature if we become God's devotee. And becoming God's devotee in this age of Kali is simple. You just have to chant His holy name. Can you all chant one name for me? Very good. Material nature and the living entities should be understood to be beginningless. There it is again. Krishna again is saying that same thing. The living entity is beginningless. You always existed. Their transformations and the modes of matter are products of material nature. Nature is said to be the cause of all material causes and effects, whereas the living entity is the cause of the various sufferings and enjoyments in this world. In other words, don't blame anybody but yourself for whatever condition you find yourself in. Don't blame this person and that person. No. Krishna consciousness is teaching me, take ownership, grow up. Stop blaming other people. I'm in the condition I am in now because of the stupid mistakes I made. Now, let me act in such a way that I don't act foolishly again. That's what Bhagavad Gita is teaching. The living entity is the cause of the various sufferings and enjoyments. It's my own fault. So now let me finish it up. Let me surrender to Krishna so I don't <coughs> have to come back and do it again. The living entity in material nature thus follows the ways of life, enjoying the three modes of nature. This is due to one's association with that material nature. Thus one meets with good and evil among various species. So here you see three doors. One door, the mode of goodness. One door, the mode of passion. And one door, the mode of ignorance. Now you choose which way you want to go. If you follow the path of the mode of goodness, in chapter 14, it will be explained. Next chapter. It will be explained. What happens when you live your life in the mode of goodness. Or, if you like the mode of passion, Hollywood, enjoy, go for it, yeah! Then you get a different result. Or if you like the mode of ignorance, 
Las Vegas. Intoxication. Then you're going to get a different result. Whose fault is it if I choose door one, two, three? God's fault? The devil made me do it? No. I chose door number one, door number two, door number three. It's my own fault. And Krishna is pointing out in the Bhagavad Gita, he's telling you, hello, if you go down the mode of ignorance, you're going to get this result. This is what's so great about Bhagavad Gita. You already will know the outcome. But guess what? I'm so stupid, even though I know what to expect, I still choose the mode of ignorance. So don't be like me. And beyond these three doors is the fourth door. The door that opens those doors. The doors of Krishna consciousness. Choose those doors. By rising and chanting the holy name. Everybody. So we'll have this class next week. If you would like to attend. And we will speak more on the science of door number one, two, three, or four. Let us now worship the supreme personality of Godhead.